Hi, Journey. How you doing? Nice to see you. This is Gabby. Hey, here you go. You don't want any of those? Yeah, you, you like those. She's looking for the M&Ms. I took the M&Ms out. Yeah, there you go. That good? Yeah? Kind of good? If you're a guest, we don't always have live animals on the stage, but we're really, really glad you're here. Josh and I were praying early this morning <clears throat> over our times together asking that for all of us, whether we're a guest or we've been around here for years, that God would meet us in the place that we're at today. And so that's how we've sort of set the table with the Lord, asking him to meet you right in the place where all of us are at today. Uh, I'm just going to warn you right off the top that with a wild animal on the stage, anything can happen. Come on, bud. you got to warm up here. And so, uh, like, bodily functions might happen, and, you know, we just got to be, what? What are you doing? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's all good. Yeah, good. Had a girl. So we're talking about Israel's feasts, right? The feasts of the Lord, as they're called. And for the Jews, their most awesome holy day of the entire year is known as Yom Kippur. Will you say that with me? Yom Kippur. It means the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement is the English translation for those Hebrew words. You now know a little bit of Hebrew, those Hebrew words, Yom Kippur. But for most of us, that word atonement is just kind of out there. It's a little vague. It's a little meaningless. It doesn't necessarily have punch for a whole bunch of us. So, so let me tease this out for you. The Hebrew word Kippur comes from the Hebrew word Kafar, which means to cover. So the word atonement really simply then is all about, a, it's a covering Yom Kippur is the day then that an atonement or a covering was made for what? What were they covering? Sin. That's exactly right. Just a little tip off here. If you're ever in church and the answer is not God or Jesus, it might very well be sin. It's always a good guess. The atonement or the covering consisted of a blood sacrifice of an innocent animal. And God said in Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11, I'm sure lots of you had your quiet times in Leviticus 17, even this morning. For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar, check this out, to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. It's in the blood. It's the blood that makes the covering, the atonement. Yom Kippur is Israel's sixth holy day. It's celebrated in the fall of the year. It falls on the seventh Hebrew month, known as Tishri. See, I told you, stuff happens right here on the stage. The month is called Tishri in Hebrew, which is our September to October time frame. Yom Kippur is observed between the Feast of Trumpets, called Rosh Hashanah, and the Feast of Tabernacles, both of which we talked about last week. The timing, if you'll recall, is very significant. Because the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, was at least in part about celebrating the start, the beginning of the Jewish New Year. So with Yom Kippur, what you have is a whole bunch of soul searching going on right as the Jewish New Year is beginning. The people of Israel, the community of Israel, they start the New Year by getting right, by getting square with God. They fast, they deny themselves, they search their hearts, all proclaiming to God, all proclaiming to Yahweh, God, I want to start the new year right. We, as the community of God, want to start the new year right. We want to make a covering. We need 
actually to make a covering for our sin, and we're asking you, God, to please cleanse us. And God's real clear about his instructions on how Yom Kippur is to be observed. Leviticus chapter 16. When Aaron, he's the high priest, enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. No halfway on this deal. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments. This is the only biblical reference to underwear that we encounter in the scriptures. There it is, and they're made of linen. Ouch. Worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. So I want to picture the scene here. There would have been upwards of 200,000 people gathered together on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. They're coming before God to do what? To have their sins removed. And there's this guy, he's called the high priest, and he's going into the presence of God on behalf of an entire nation. You'd better believe that he's got his holy underwear on. This guy is making offerings on behalf of all the people in an entire nation. He'd better have his stuff together. And Yom Kippur is a solemn, solemn day for the nation of Israel. The most solemn day of the year, as a matter of fact. Jews referred to this holiday as simply the day. They just called it the day. And they took it so seriously. Why? Because God takes it really seriously. Leviticus chapter 23, further instruction. Be careful to celebrate the day of atonement on the 10th day of that same month, nine days after the festival of trumpets. You must observe it as an official day for holy assembly, a day to deny yourselves and present special gifts to the Lord. This will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you, and on that day you must deny yourselves. And that piece about denying yourself, that's understood to mean fasting. It's a day devoted to fasting and repenting of one's sins during the course of the past year. You don't work on Yom Kippur. It's a day set aside for the purpose of denying yourself. But it wasn't just a day of solemnness for the people of Israel. Yom Kippur was just as solemn for the priests, maybe even more so for the priests. It was the only time during the year when the high priest actually was permitted to enter what they called the Holy of Holies in the temple and stand before the presence of God's glory. Because of that, the high priest has to go through a lot of preparation to get ready for going into the Holy of Holies. It was so important that the high priest not accidentally become unclean and become disqualified from performing his high priestly duties that he left his home seven days before Yom Kippur. He lived then in the high priest's quarters inside the temple boundaries. Every single day, he would have been sprinkled with the ashes of a red heifer to circumvent the possibility that he had become unclean by doing something crazy like touching a dead body or some other unclean thing. They actually would have appointed a substitute high priest, a backup in the event that the official high priest should suddenly die or, heaven forbid, become unclean. They could not screw this Yom Kippur thing up. They could not screw it up. There could not be a single mistake because if there was, the result would have been a monumental catastrophe, humiliation for the nation of Israel as all of their sacrifices would have then been disqualified and left their sin uncovered. Tragic. It would have been tragic. 
And because the high priest was going into God's presence on behalf of the entire nation, it meant there was a seriously marked increase in the number of animal sacrifices. It included a bull, a ram, seven lambs for the people, a ram for the priesthood, Leviticus 16, verse 6. Aaron, he's the high priest, remember, will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family. It's just for him and just for his family, making them right with the Lord. All these rituals the high priest has to go through to make sure that he's cleansed, to make sure that he's power washed, to make sure that he's sanctified, ready to go into God's presence on behalf of the people. Now look at Leviticus chapter 16, verse seven. Then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat, chosen by Lot to be sent away, will be kept alive, standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. So here's the scene, right? Hundreds of thousands of worshipers, they're coming together to start the new year, having their sins atoned for, covered over, cleaned up, to be reminded of God's grace and mercy. And there they all are gathered. And the high point, the pinnacle of the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, was when the goats stepped out onto the scene. It's the peak of the day. And on the day, there would have actually been two goats standing near the temple altar. They would have been identical in size, color, value. They would have stood there just waiting for the high priest, watching itself on the large screen. (laughs) As tradition goes, two golden lots made of gold would have been placed inside of a golden vase. Lots were used in ancient times to determine divine will and so. Very often in the ancient Near East, people, especially priests, made difficult and significant decisions by casting lots either on the ground, throwing them out on the ground, or drawing them out of some sort of receptacle. These golden lots would have been inscribed for Yahweh, the other one for Azazel. The high priest would have shaken the gold vessel, randomly pulled out one lot in each hand. He would have held those gold lots on the foreheads of the goats and determined the outcome. He would then have declared them, both goats, a sin offering to the Lord. Two goats together were viewed as one singular offering. And the goat upon which the words for Azazel fell was immediately identified with a strip of red wool tied around his horn. This is her least favorite, hey, part. Dude, if that's not tied around your neck, you die. Tied around your horn, you die. So this keeps you alive, buddy. There you go, yeah, you've been good here. Nope, okay, just put it right there. Eat up, whenever you're ready. The goat would have then been turned around to face the community whose sin would later be placed on its head. Now, the goat that was determined for Yahweh, the goat that drew the short straw, it was left to face the large stone altar upon which it would be killed and offered to God as part of the sin offering. Some people ask, well, why don't you have two goats? And I'm just gonna say 
two words, Saturday night. Saturday night. I'm kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. What's up with the word Azazel? What, what does that mean? It carries with it the idea of take it away or escape. Take it away or escape. Leviticus 16, verses 20 to 22. When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all of the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, get this, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. That word scapegoat that we use to this very day is sourced in ancient Jewish history. There were two goats, remember. One of them has been sacrificed. It's already dead. It's on the altar. It leaves one goat, the goat that drew the for Azazel lot. And here's the scene. There's this one goat. He's, of course, standing nervously in the afternoon sun, twitching, wondering where in the world his buddy went to. Everyone's staring at him. He's staring at everyone. And according to the instructions in Leviticus 16, the high priest is to lay his hands onto the head of the goat marked for Azazel. And all of the sin not just individually, we think very individualistically in our culture, but it's the sin of the entire community. It's the sin of an entire nation transferred onto the head of the goat for Azazel. That goat's head all of a sudden just got really, really heavy, didn't it? Imagine all the sin of an entire nation, an entire people for an entire year piled onto that goat's head. It becomes this really solemn, sacred moment, doesn't it? And that goat is loaded up heavy. But there's God, and he's meeting with his people. All of their communal guilt for an entire year piled onto the head of that one goat, somber quiet. It's this moment where for the entire next year, all the sins are being covered. And they're being covered because God is gracious, and God is merciful, and God is slow to anger, and God is abounding in steadfast love. Because God is good. And God is really good, and yet it's this moment of unbelievable seriousness. And then whoever it was who was appointed for the task would lead the goat out into the wilderness. And there's some conflicting reports about who exactly got to do that job. Some scholars say it was absolutely a priest who led that goat more than 10 miles away to be sure, absolutely sure, that it was never, ever seen again. Other accounts talk about it being a Gentile, someone not at all connected with the Jews who was chosen for the job. But it doesn't matter who. The bottom line is that whoever took that goat away would azazel the azazel goat. Take away the takeaway goat. It's all right, buddy. 
And whoever it was that azazeled the azazel goat had better be dang sure that they did their job well. Because when they sent that goat away, the nation of Israel doesn't ever want to see that goat, the goat that's encumbered with the entire sin of the entire nation again. How horrific would it have been to see that goat walking around town in the market three days? No. You don't want to see that goat. The Azazel goat was removed. The Azazel goat was no longer here. The Azazel goat goes away. gone. All the community's guilt, all the community's sin for an entire year. Gone. And the gospel writer John, he does something absolutely magnificent, I think. And you have to understand, when John penned his gospel account, his primary audience would have been very, very familiar with the whole Jewish Day of Atonement, the Azazel Godin all of that, being led out of the city, encumbered with the sin of the people on its head and so on. And John ever so subtly says, hey, I want to show you the connection between Jesus Christ and the Azazel goat. Look at John chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. And this guy named Pilate, he had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews. They mocked as they slapped him across the face. And I want you to picture, if you have a crown of thorns, thorns that were approximately an inch or so long, and if you have that crown of thorns pressed down, not gently like set on your head, but pressed with great force onto your head, those thorns would have punctured the skin on your scalp, right? Would have bled, obviously. And that blood would run down Jesus' head. It did run down his head. And what color lines then are you going to have on Jesus' head? Red lines. Not too dissimilar from the red piece of wool tied around the Azazel goat's horn. The one who was sent. The way you're seeing the connection. And the connection gets more powerful. Look at John 19 verses 15 to 17. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. Now, here's the scene. Jesus Christ, he's got all the guilt laid on him by his own people. All the guilt laid on his head. It was his own, it was the Jews, remember, who pronounced Jesus guilty. He's got these red lines, blood around his head. The crowd is yelling. What are they yelling? What'd they yell? Away with him. They yelled away with him first. Does that sound familiar? Azazel. Azazel. Away with him. Azazel. And then Jesus was led outside the city of Jerusalem. Or he was crucified, nailed to a cross, 
left to die as the once-for-all sacrifice for the sin of every person, past, present, and future. Whoa. And we have to understand what Jesus did on the cross, it was a game changer, right? Because you see, before Jesus' death, the Day of Atonement happened this year, absolutely, but it's gotta happen next year, and the next year, and the next year. Why does it always have to happen? Well, because you kept sinning. We kept sinning. The people of Israel kept sinning. And so they had to atone and atone and atone and atone. They had to do it again and again and again and again. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 tells us, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All those sacrifices, the goats and the cows, the sheep, every kind of sacrifice, doesn't matter what it is, it was provisional and it was recurring. The blood of animals that belonged to men could only cover sin. But watch this. Jesus Christ, the one the scriptures call the Lamb of God, took away our sin. John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Whoa. Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross was perfect. It was accepted by God. It was all sufficient. It was once and for all. Which means that for those of us who trust Christ, you have been made holy forever. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you meet him, when you confess your sin to him, you're born from above. You're born again. You're remade. You're not at all who you used to be. You're new, brand new. Scripture says the old is gone, the new has come. You have a brand new identity. You were a sinner. And while we sure all of us still stumble, you're now defined by God as a saint. And Journey, I believe that one of the greatest privileges of being a saint is proclaiming to a world that's really, really busy, reminding everyone about their failures and their darkness, all their shortcomings, that one of the greatest privileges of us being saints is announcing to the world, as one guy put it, the goat has left the building. I think that's one of the greatest privileges as saints that we have. The goat has left the building. So try this. Next time someone digs into you about your past, your failings, your shortcomings, your flaws, what if you said, I, I beg your pardon? I don't see a goat in the room. Because it's true, the goat's gone, long, gone. And the story of the goat leaving the building, it's the story God weaves through the entirety of scriptures. It doesn't mean we don't sin, but the central message of the Bible is you're not who you were. You're a new creation. You've joined the saints. You've been rebirthed and remade. You've been made holy forever and ever. And here's the deal, God knows all about your past. All of it. Every last week, he knows it better than you know it, as a matter of fact. And the goat has left the building. He knows, and the goat has left the building. There's freedom, isn't there? There's freedom. Because God says, hey, you take that goat and you send it out and it's gone and it's not coming 
back. And that's who God is. He's all about our freedom. And your and my freedom was made possible by Jesus, the once for all ultimate scapegoat. And he took it away. And he nailed it to a cross so that we can live free today. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would. And I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. with heads bowed and eyes closed, here's the question of the day. Have you put your faith and trust in the Lamb of God, the only one capable of taking away your sins? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lamb of God, the only one who can take away your sins. And maybe you're a person who's today saying, nah, I haven't done that yet. What are you waiting for? Why not make this your day? Why not settle it once and for all today? You can do that by declaring your trust in Christ, giving him your whole heart, your whole life, your whole eternity. You can do that by praying with me and I just invite you right where you're sitting to pray with me right now. Jesus, yes, I'm a sinner. And I'm realizing more and more, Jesus, that I am incapable of saving myself. I've been trying. But I need the Savior of the world, the Messiah. I need Jesus. And so Christ, by faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I trust you as Savior and Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for rising from the dead once and for all. This isn't like an every year deal, God, and I'm so grateful that it's not. Once and for all. I trust you, Jesus, with my everything. And if you're someone today who's stepping into the saving faith of Jesus Christ, that's the single biggest decision of your whole life. It matters so much that we like around here to acknowledge when people make that decision. And so if you prayed with me just then to step across the line of faith into Jesus Christ, would you just be real bold and would you slip your hand up and lock eyes with me right now? You can do that right now. And just let me agree with you. You can slip your hand up right now and just say, yep, I'm stepping into faith. Yeah, over here. Wow, yeah, all of you, yep. Over here to my left and over here to my right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, both of you over there, yes. The goat has left the building. Yeah, you over there, yeah, I see a little hand over there, yeah. Way to go. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir.
Jesus, we just stand in awe of what you're doing in hearts and lives right here today. You are the Lamb of God taking away our sin. Especially, Jesus, the sin of these who are stepping into faith in you today. Wow. What a privilege it is to get to be a part of that, God. Thank you for the transformation that you're rending right here, right now, in all of our hearts and lives. And Jesus, would you make us about proclaiming that reality that the goat has left the building? When there's people in our lives and when there's people around us who are telling us about what we used to be and what we used to do and how we used to mess up and blow it and screw up and Would you help us be real bold in proclaiming the goat has left the building? Jesus Christ, the once for all sacrifice, took that for me. And I don't have to be reminded of it. I don't have to live in it. I don't have to fear its shadow anymore. I'm free. God, that everything in our lives would be about declaring that reality to people all around us. You can be free. You can live free. Because Jesus Christ, you are the Son of God, the one and only Son of God, and whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So Jesus, we say, we are free indeed. We are free indeed.